Welcome to the Dwellings Podcast. We're glad you tuned in. Enjoy this message by Pastor Gunnar. Well, we've been in a series called Aroma, Rediscovering Prayer. Some of y'all, I couldn't help but think of it. Like when you're, you know, when you're conscious of something, you notice it more. Y'all smell so good. Like some of y'all just come up and hug my neck today and I'm like, you smell good. I need to get me some stuff to put on me so I smell good. But aroma, we talked about last week how, uh, well, I'll just read it. Uh, Revelation chapter 5, uh, just a few verses of that, not the whole thing, guys, in, in the back. But it says, when he'd taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, holding each a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So in heaven, I want you to get this visual in John's vision of this heavenly city, there is, before the throne of God, there is bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. There are There is like an aromatic uh, smoke, vapor, always rising before the Lord. And we talked about the prayers that were prayed a thousand years ago are still rising up before the Lord. The prayers that you pray that you haven't seen answers to yet are rising up before the Lord. He's faithful. I mean, you know, he's faithful and that your prayers aren't wasted. Your prayers sometimes are, are the thing that are driving your own faith and increasing your own faith because you're just praying when you don't see any evidence of it yet. You just keep praying and your faith is building. So we talked about last week that prayer is delight. We talk about that thing of uh, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, he is our delight. And prayer is not just about talking with God. It's about being with God. It's about being with him. And, um, and so how we relate to God will determine how we pray. How we relate to God determines how we approach prayer. And if, if you've ever thought like you had to put on this formal thing or this mask or this put on your spiritual whatever to come into God's presence, I don't know that we're thinking about prayer correctly. I don't know that we really know who, what our identity is if we feel like we have to do that. God doesn't want the polished you. He just wants you. And listen, we're broken people. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross for us. If he didn't accept broken people, who's he, who's he gonna accept? There's nobody to accept. Okay, so just come into his presence, bring your doubt, bring your fear, bring your pain, bring your hurt, bring your discouragement, your disappointment. You can be honest about where you are in your life because prayer is not just about talking about talking to him, it's about being with him. And so prayer is delight and how you relate to God determines how you pray. And I gave you a fair warning last week and the place is fairly full this morning so you know what you're getting into if you were here last week. I'm sorry if this is your first time, because today, God, this is kind of a little strong word. Prayer is, and this is the second message in the series, prayer is delight, it is, but prayer is also death. Prayer is death. And so I want to, um, I want to take you back a few years in my life. And guys, go ahead and put that picture up. This building was an old Bible college in the town that Bethany and I were at a church. We served there for about eight years before we moved to Savannah. And 
uh, I was a pastor to teenagers and college students. And this building during the 1920s was a Bible college in our very small town. I'm talking like one red light with a gas station, kind of small town. In the 1920s, this place was ground zero for a move of God. You might have heard of Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. That's where it started in that building in New Brockton, Alabama, the very beginnings of it. But what happened in this building was in 1920-something, I can't remember the exact year now, there were some people who signed up for Bible college. Hey, we want to give our lives to ministry. We want to learn something. We want to learn the Bible. And there's a little room in that building that was their chapel where they had their worship and their prayer services. And in a service, a prayer service, a prayer meeting in that building, the Holy Spirit and his presence just fell in a tangible way. And I've read accounts of what happened. I mean, there were maybe 20 people there. And the Holy Spirit just fell in that place. And there was a lot of heart rearranging that happened. And from that room and from that moment and the years that progressed after that, more people were called to foreign missions out of that building. There were more people called to foreign missions. I don't know if this is still an accurate statistic, but it was at the time that I studied this, that for the town that that building is in, per capita, has sent more missionaries than any other city in the United States. It's a very small town. People were sent to China, West Africa, all over the world because of what happened when they met God face-to-face in a little brick building in a small little town in Alabama. Well, I got wind of... Well, I didn't know what had happened to this building and, and it happened in this building, but I, 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 walked, I was driving by it one day. I was like, Where? I didn't even know this was here. It was kind of on a back street, kind of hidden. And I said, I wonder who owns that building. I just felt drawn to that place. I said, there's something special about it. So I found out who it was owned by and I went and contacted them and I said, hey, can I have a prayer meeting in this building? Little did I know what had happened in that building in the 1920s. And so we start a prayer meeting with college students and teenagers. And Rob Driggers was there. I don't know if Rob's here today. Rob Driggers was there. Adam Hooper was there. Um, Keenan and Tyler, those guys that helped us launch the church. We were all in there. And there would be teenagers and college students on their faces in that room on the left side there on the bottom floor. On that old, it was kind of dirty carpet, but we didn't care. We were hungry for God. And we would lay on our faces in that room for hours at a time, just crying out to God to do something in our hearts. And I saw teenagers and college students, and I saw junior high students rearranged because you can't stay in the presence of God and not get rearranged oftentimes we we run too quick 
we like to think of God as, well, he's just going to make me feel good. Oh, the presence of the Lord is that, oh, yeah, I got some chills in worship. That's the presence of the Lord. It can be, but the presence of the Lord can also be terrifying. The presence of the Lord can pull out all the junk in your life, and that's not always comfortable. The presence of the Lord, like a, like a beam of blinding light, can shine in the deepest recesses of our hearts and point out what's there that is not fit for the kingdom and to go on with God. And I can tell you firsthand that that kind of stuff was what was happening in my heart, in my life, in that little Bible college. On an old floor, we had to get... I'd have to go in there before anybody got there and just sweep up all the roaches. How hungry are you for God? How hungry are you for God? Are you hungry enough to say no to some things? I'm telling you, these seasons of fasting and prayer, like no other times in our life, are the times that help us to see where we really are. And I'm asking you today, how hungry are you? Because what the Lord wants to do will require some things to die in us. Prayer is delight, but prayer is also death. Matthew 26, it says, Verse 36, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to feel sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you couldn't watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again, Not my will, but yours be done. How many know Jesus died on the cross, but the real death happened right here? The real death happened when he said, it's not about me, it's what you want. And I'm submitting my life to complete and total surrender to my father. That's how he lived his whole life. But in this moment, I think part of this is modeling for us. Not only is it a struggle, it's a battle, it's a wrestle. Sometimes the Lord is not just comfortable in our lives. 
Sometimes, yes, we feel that freedom of just like, oh, God, he's, a, he's wonderful, and, and like his presence is just life-changing, and we're in it, and there's joy, and there's fullness of joy. But I'm telling you, it's not always pleasant what the Lord wants to do in us, especially when he comes in and rearranges us. Sometimes he has to come in and shake all of the stuff out of us that doesn't, have, doesn't need to be there. Everyone who goes on with God, everyone who goes on with God must have a Gethsemane moment, if not several Gethsemanes that they have to walk through. And we say, yes, we want to go on with God. Yes, we want to walk with Jesus. But when it costs us something, many, 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 many people turn and walk the other way. Jesus was, man, he had thousands of people following him everywhere he went until one day when he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And they didn't know how to handle that. And he turned to his disciples and said, you going to leave too? I think it was Peter said, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. He had enough experience with God. Catch this. He had enough experience with God that he knew where life was even when it didn't feel right, even when it didn't feel good. He knew where life was. I'm convinced the greatest prayer one can pray is what Jesus prayed in the garden. Father, not my will, but yours be done. What would happen to a city if a company of people truly said, Lord, it's not about what I want, it's what you want, and I'm fully aligning my life. D.O. Moody said, the world has not seen what God can do with a man who's fully surrendered to him. Several weeks ago, I, I preached a message called Prerequisite for Life, and I talked about the prerequisite for life is death. Remember? In the natural, you gotta be, you gotta be alive before you can die, Right? Kind of a prerequisite. You gotta be alive before you can die. But in the kingdom, it's opposite. You gotta, you gotta be dead before you can live. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. And I talked about there were four things that have to die in this season as a church in our lives. And it was a very personal message. And I told you today's just going to be about that heavy, okay? But I know what the Lord wants to do. And I know that if we get past the stumbling block, if we can get past the offense, there's glory on the other side of it. I can promise you that. Through the pain of discomfort of what he's calling you into, there is glory on the other side of it. You gotta believe him. You gotta believe him that he's good. Yeah. Or you're gonna, you're gonna be just like all those people that day when he said one offensive thing and you turn your back on Jesus and there's only 12 left over here. Don't be those people just because it's uncomfortable. Press into his heart. Pull in close. Okay, Jesus, I know what you're calling me to do and it's hard and it's uncomfortable, but I love you and I know you're good. I know you're good and your words are life. I know the Lord's working today. And here's the thing. Sometimes it doesn't look like we think it ought to look. There are deep, deep things happening in this room right now 
that will show up 10 years from now that might be imperceptible in this room right now. But by faith, I see it. I see orchards from the seeds that are going in the ground today. Orchards. Control has to die. Go and listen to this message a few weeks ago. I think it was prerequisite for life on the website. Control has to die. This thing where we feel like we can have to control people. This thing where we have to control circumstances. This thing where we feel like we have to control God. Listen, we can't be people who lead in renewal and revival if we're trying to control things. We got to live like this. We got to live open-handed. We got to live with our hands off the wheel if we want him to drive. And then we got we to gotta die to offense. We can't let the little petty things drive a wedge between us and the body of Christ. We can't live in bitterness. We can't live in resentment. There's no place among God's people. Number three, we got to die to criticism. That's criticism of others and criticism of ourselves. Until we, until we begin to see people for how God sees them, we can't love them right. Until we begin to see ourselves for how God sees us, we can't love ourselves right. And how many know that's a prerequisite for loving others? Love others as you love yourself. Identity is key. We gotta die to criticism. And then we gotta die to the fear of man. What God thinks is more important than anybody else. You remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? Y'all good? Abraham and Isaac. God called Abraham to do something unthinkable. That's offensive. Hey, take your son. You know the son that I promised you? You didn't really believe it. And Sarah was laughing about it. And now he's here. Now I want, I want him back. I want you to sacrifice him for me. That's offensive. That's offensive to my mind. That's offensive to my heart. I have no idea how Abraham must have felt in that moment. The wrestle with God he must have gone through. All the way up that mountain with the boy behind him. They had the wood. They were ready. And then when they, and Isaac said, Daddy, I mean, we've got the wood and everything. Where's the sacrifice? <laughs> and you know the story God provided a sacrifice. I'd like to propose that God didn't want Isaac dead that day. He wanted Abraham dead. He was looking for a man who would say, no matter what, I'm going to walk with you. No matter what, there are no idols in my life. I'm 100% surrendered. When you ask the unthinkable of me, I will do it. Are we there? How surrendered are we? How hungry are we? God's looking for some people. And can I just tell you, it won't be everybody. It never has been everybody. But he might be just looking for one person. 
One person to live completely surrendered. One person to say, I don't care what, what people think of me. I'm just going to do what God says. One person that says, I, you know what? I'm going to lay all this idle stuff down about money and finances and friends and everything else in my life pales in comparison to knowing him. And I'm running after him no matter what it costs me. Now, that doesn't sound like the promise of the Christian life we really want. But I guarantee you on the other side of that, yes, is glory. I still believe it's the year of glory. How about you? There was a moment in my life where I, I knew for years that Bethany and I had a vision and a heart to plant a church. We had no idea what that even looked like. We didn't know where it would be. We didn't know. It was just a dream in our hearts, right? And we knew that God had put it there because it never went away. It would never go away. And, um, and I was in a season of my life where I was just really discontent. You ever been there? You know, yeah, some of you working a job right now, you're like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. That's, that's kind of where we were, just like we're in a tension place of like I know what's coming and I know where I am right now and what's going on in my life and who I am. And I know that he's pulling me in this direction. And I don't know what to do with my now. Can I get a witness? I don't know what to do with my now. I know what's promised. I know that he won't let it go. I can't let it go. And he won't stop in my heart. But I know that this season is where he has us. And I was literally just almost depressed about it. I mean, having anxiety about, Lord, what are you doing? What's the next step? What do we do? And I was in the shower one day, and, um, and I just, I was asking him, Lord, what does this look like? What, when is this going to happen? And I was just fretting and worrying, and I just felt this scripture. It's from the mouth of Jesus. I can't remember the, where it is in scripture right now, but he says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can't bear much fruit. But if it dies, a harvest will come. Something, something along those lines. And I knew immediately what the Lord was asking me to do. Give me this church plant. Give me this dream that I put in your heart. Because even a God dream, even a good thing can become a God thing. And he'll have no other gods before him. So what I did in the shower that day, and I told my wife afterwards, and I called the Hoopers, because they had already said yes. Hey, we're, on, we're, in this, we're in this with you. And I said, guys, I don't know what this means, but I'm, de I'm dead to this now. Like I died to planting a church or whatever that means. And I put it, it's like this, and I literally... I saw it as this, a seed in my hand that was given, me to the, given to me from the Lord. A seed in my hand is no good, is it? I could stare at that seed for 100 years, and it's never going to become anything. The moment that a seed becomes something is when it goes in the ground. There are dreams on hearts in this room and watching online that God has put there, and they're good things, but unless that seed goes in the ground and dies, it's not going to bear fruit. Yeah. 
Control will not bear fruit. Fear of failure, fear of whatever, fill in the blank, will never bear fruit. You got to release that to the Lord and put it in the ground. And then you don't have any say in what happens once you put it in the ground. And so after a period of time, like literally, you just, yeah, you just tend. You do what you can do. You water that thing, but God gives the increase. But I'm going to tell you the most uncomfortable thing in the world is God gives you a precious seed. Here you go, my son. Here you go, my daughter. And for you to stick that thing in the ground, you can't see it anymore. You can't feel it anymore. You have no idea if that thing's ever going to come up. But it takes trust. And it takes faith and look at the harvest. Now, I share my story because it's a story I know. But I'm talking this morning. We were praying over Lisa Foote this morning. And just the story of God in her life connected to this house. Many of you guys have come in here and you were in a, a broken place. And God's restored you. Many of you have come in here and you didn't you never had community before and you got community now. You got a family that loves you. Yes. And I'm telling you, I'm not saying this to say Gunner's awesome. What I am saying is when you put a seed in the ground, yes. there will be a harvest. Yeah. There will be fruit from it, but as long as it's in your hand, it will never happen. That's really good. There is a requirement for following Jesus. J.C. Ryle said, a cheap Christianity without a cross will prove in the end a useless Christianity without a crown. It's not just a theological concept. Jesus said this in Matthew 16. He told his, his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Pause. Already, I feel like if we're going to take Jesus at his word, what our culture tells us, that's already yeah. offensive. Yeah. Wait, wait, I got to get what I want, what I need. Yeah. Jesus says, deny yourself. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Yeah. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus, where else we go? You have the words of life. Jesus promised over and over. If you, if you lay your life down, I guarantee what you've got on the other side is better than anything you could ever yeah. dream. Yeah. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? In that same town where that Bible college was, I was at a church. I was on staff there. This was 10 years ago. I felt real old when that hit me this morning, by the way. Ten years. Ten years ago, we ended a service just like this. 
in our church at the time. And um, I don't know how to describe it other than I was miserable. I was completely miserable. And everybody, I mean, it was a great morning. I think like a couple of people gave their hearts to the Lord. It was a celebration. And I couldn't celebrate because I was mourning. And I went home and I sat at our kitchen table and I was so, have you ever been so heartbroken you just don't want to eat? I, I think I peeled a cucumber. How sad is that? Like I just had a cucumber in a styrofoam plate. <laughs> yeah, you peel them. We peel them. It's too waxy if you don't. But I'm sitting there eating my cucumber. And I tell Bethany, I don't, know what's, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I just keep, I feel like I'm mourning. And I kept hearing that word in my head. It's like mourn, mourn. And I, I don't know what to do. I just, I feel like I just need to go back over to the church and pray. We live just, just down the road, across the road a little bit. And so I had the key. <laughs> I unlocked the church. I locked it behind me. Nobody was there but me and God. And I crawled up on this platform in that church and I laid down on my face. And I was just just trying to just pour out my heart to God. And I, I said, God, I don't I don't know what's going on with me. I just I'm mourning something. Like I'm just mourning. I I don't know how to describe this. And I, I I'll just go ahead and give you a warning. This is weird. Okay. But this is what God did in my life that day, and he transformed me. But I said, I said, Lord, I feel I just want to die. And I didn't, I'm not, I wasn't suicidal. I just knew because of there was seasons of laying in the floor in a Bible college and, and, and fasting, seasons of fasting that I'd done, that the Lord was like, he was like a tiller just preparing the ground of my heart. And it came, culminated to that moment where I'm laying on that platform and I'm asking God, I just, I want to die. I'm not dead yet. You understand what I'm saying? Not physically. I'm saying like there are things, I'm not there, God, and I want to die. And I begin to just weep and wail and the carpet is soaked and I'm like I would be so embarrassed if somebody saw me doing that but at the point in the moment I probably didn't even care but I was I was I was just weeping and wailing and saying God I'm not dead yet I'm not dead yet and listen how hungry are you because that sounds crazy and it may be but I can't tell you how hungry I was because I knew I wasn't there I knew I knew I was so far from where I needed to be. And I was asking God, I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead yet. And as I was wailing and crying before the Lord, all of a sudden, I heard the phrase in my head. It wasn't audible, but just as clear as if someone was in the room and said it. I'm, I'm saying, I'm not dead yet. And I hear the phrase, yes, you are. You just don't know it. And in my mind's eye, I begin to see. Now, this is the weird part. I begin to see a crown of thorns on my head. I see myself like a movie. Crown of thorns on my head. 
nails in my hands and feet. I see my back shredded by the whips. I see the spear going my side. This is all happening within a second. See all this. And then I hear Galatians 2. For I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And for the first time in my life, I realized that Jesus didn't just die for me. I died with him. And when I say prayer is death, what I mean is this. If you're really in Christ, there is a reality to our lives that we must be reminded of every single day that we are crucified. The old man is not your problem anymore. The old man's dead. We got to live by faith that it's Jesus living in us and through us. And what happened to me that day on that platform, on that pink carpet, was I had my funeral. I didn't know I was dead until he had to tell me, hey, you're dead. Live like it. You won't live like you're alive until you realize you're dead. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? And some of you are like, yes. Today's for that, that person that says, I'm tired. I want to give everything to God. I don't care what it costs me. I'm laying my life down. And I believe there's going to be a funeral today, hopefully more than one. We lay our lives down, completely, totally surrender to God. God, do what you want. I've heard it said, That a dead man doesn't have a choice. You know, I know that there, there are things in here that, things in each of our lives that bind us up, and keep us bound. And, you know, a dead man doesn't struggle with lust. he's dead fill in the blank if we truly believe that Galatians 2 I am crucified with Christ and it's Jesus living in me I, I would look at, after that moment on the carpet that day I, I, some, some mornings I just had to make it real and I look in the mirror and I look at myself in my own eyes I th- I, y'all gonna think I'm crazy I know the preacher's crazy over there I ain't going back. But I'd look, my, I'd look at myself in the mirror and I'd say, you're dead and Jesus is living in you today. I don't know about you, but I need to go back and do that some more, I think. So, 
I just, I, I think I just want to ask these just a few questions to you. And maybe Lauren, come on, or somebody. I feel like you can't, we can't leave here today without settling the question for some of us. Do you really know him? Like, are you dead? <laughs> like, have you ever died to yourself and let him be Lord of your life? Because that's what it is. That's what Christianity is. It's, it's, it's saying yes to a king. And so, um, to everybody else, I would say, are you actively living a surrendered life? And I ask myself this question. Am I actively surrendering? And so a good litmus test for that is just to look back over the last week and think, what did it cost me? I mean, even with fasting, that's a really good time to see that stuff because it's like, okay, I said no to those french fries, you know? Like, that's real simple. But what has it cost you over the last year to walk with Jesus? What has it cost you? And when was the last time your cry of your heart was, not my will, but yours be done? Let's just bow our heads for just a moment. And um, I'm going to close. But before I do, I just want to ask you, who, who in this room just needs to give your heart and life to Jesus today? Would you raise your hand? Look at me. Just, just everybody else, keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. Jesus loves you. And he gave his life for you. And he says, don't come to me and try to clean yourself up. I can do it. He does a really good job of it. And so just pray a prayer like this. Come on, let everybody just pray this together. Lord, thank you for loving me. I trust you. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Change me. Clean me up. The rest of my life is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Come talk to me after service. Now, let's everybody stand. And here's how, here's what we're going to do. I just, I don't know what the Lord's saying to, to, to everybody in here. There's no way to know that. But here's what I will say. Here's how we're going to end. I'm going to end this service like I, like that service was ended that day where I had my funeral. So I'm not going to put any ministry time up here or anything. I bless you to wrestle with the Lord. And I pray that for those whose hearts are moved this morning, that God, you would not relent in hearts until you have the full thing. Lord, start it with me. Do it in us today. Is that your heart? Is that your desire this morning? To be all in for Jesus? I bless you to wrestle. And I'm pulling for God on this one. Okay? <laughs> Jesus, we love you.
We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that whatever we give up to walk with you is so worth it. God, you're so worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Come get your glory from our lives, Lord. Come wrestle us. Come wrestle us to the ground and win. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Have a blessed week. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information about The Dwelling, visit thedwellingchurch.org.